Hey everybody, this is uh, Failure to Franchise. We are a podcast about uh, movie franchises that never got past their first movie uh, for one reason or another. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, and uh, hey, that over there, that that's my other co-host, that's Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Hi, Stephen. How's it going? Uh, it's, it's going all right, man. You know, quarantine. Yeah, absolutely. We're Death, just, we're, disease. Yeah, absolutely. It's plaguing us all. And uh, and will kill us all. But until then, we're going to podcast. Uh, yeah. It gives us a chance to talk about our first love, pop culture ephemera. Um, specifically, that thing that's always fascinated me, uh, movies that only have one entry in their fran- – or film franchises that only have one entry, uh, that for one reason or another just never were able to get that franchise that they were so clearly hoping for. Uh, and that's kind of what we're here to talk about. Uh, that's what our whole podcast is. And there are a lot of those movies out there. Uh, and so we're going to talk about as many of them as we possibly can uh, before uh, coronavirus takes us all. Uh, <laughs> not to amp up anyone's anxiety or anything. I'll, I'll try to keep the the death talk to a minimum if, if possible. But be the last time we ever mention it. <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> no, it probably won't. But, you know, it's fine. I know us well enough to know that at least. Sure. Um, we're, ju- we're seriously, we're just a couple of friends who uh, love talking about movies and pop culture. We used to have a blog called We Got Five on it, where we would do top five lists. Uh, maybe that's something that we can do on this podcast as well going forward. Who knows? Um, but for right now, we're just we want to talk about um, and and just dig into mo- franchise movies that had one entry. Uh, and and what movie are we going to start our podcast talking about, Brett? A movie that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, oh, okay. Being being a, a as big of a video game fan as I am, um, we're going to talk about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Super nineteen ninety three Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, directed by Annabelle Jenkel and Rocky Morton, starring Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, Samantha Mathis, Dennis Hopper, uh, Fiona Shaw. Uh, Richard Edson, Fisher Stevens. What a great cast. What a weird movie. It's, it's honestly a really good cast. I was honestly surprised. Um, it, it's, a, it's a stacked cast. There are some great actors in that cast. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, as as we'll get into in a little bit, um, they, uh, they signed on for a different movie. Um, and that's why they're all here. Yes. And... I will I will probably say this two or three times over the course of this episode. I want to know what that movie was. I want to see that movie. Uh, whatever movie they all signed on for, the, with the script that they read, that they're like, this is great, I want to do this. That's the movie I really kind of want to see. Uh, but we so, will get into it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I actually saw a brief synopsis of what that script was going to be. But we'll, we'll get into that once we start talking about the different ty- kinds of scripts there were. Because there were so many. Many, so many for this movie. But before we get into all of that, let's talk about kind of our personal histories with with this property, I guess. Because a lot of these, what what we have come to call failed franchise starters and the build up to the development of this podcast, failed franchise starters, a lot of them are based on established IP. Um, and so kind of, Brett, what is your, you, you did mention that you were kind of a video game guy. What is your history with with Mario as a franchise or video games in general, man, that's a whole separate podcast. Um, but 
I mean, Breeders Digest condensed version here. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, I I've been playing video games since I was five, so that would that would put us squarely into 1991. Um, no, 1989. Math is hard. <laughs> um, and that's you know that's prime time for uh you know Super Mario. Um, 1991 was Super Mario Brothers three was on the horizon, I think. Um, yeah, I think I've got a brief history of Mario here to to kind of walk through, but um, I think that's. But I mean, I, I was I had an Atari that my dad had, um, and then we we bought every Nintendo console after that. Um, I played every Mario known to man. All right. Um, Mario's Mario's been a big deal, um, and and I went to go see this film opening weekend and i loved the hell out of it what <laughs> because well it, i mean as we'll discuss it's it's the first video game adaptation movie so yeah so you know while there while there have been all sorts of uh, movies based on you know video game ephemera like tron last starfighter war games the wizard the wizard most notably I think I'll get into all that. I've got some notes on that. Right, right, yeah. Which I also love the wizard, but you know, that's I don't know if that's a failed franchise. It's probably not, but I don't know. We can still cover it sometime if you want. I sure, mean it's sure. basically a a nine or no, a a hundred minute long commercial for Nintendo. Um, right. Which is which is interesting. I, I know some history about the wizard too, and it 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 wasn't a commercial. They they licensed all that from Nintendo, and that's actually actually that is kind of relevant. Because the wizard is the reason um, that Nintendo was so hands-on with this movie. Watching the movie, you would not think that Nintendo was as hands-on as they were. Cause... Well, yeah, they, they tried to be more hands-on. Um, they, they saw what happened with the wizard, which was kind of a financial failure at the time. Um, they're like, we spent all this money to license all this stuff, and it failed. So we want to make our own movie and do it right this time. Or not, if you're at all familiar with this movie and its production history. That's that's very true. Um, so so yeah, so that's you know that that's important. So yeah, I I loved this movie as a kid before I could you know critically analyze things correctly, and I've loved video games ever since. And you know we skipped a lot of stuff in between there, but there you go. I uh, first watched this movie um, about 13 hours ago. Before really? Recorded, yeah. Before the recording of this episode, I had seen snippets, like bits and pieces of it here and there before, sure. but I don't think I had ever like sat down and watched this movie from start to finish. Um, because of the reception at the time, because I remember, I mean, as as a millennial of a certain age, as as one of that one of the older millennials, um, Mario was everywhere when I was a kid. I did not. I was not a video game kid. Uh, like you were, I did not play video games. Uh, my first and only, well, okay. When I was born, my father had a Commodore 64 that I remember playing as a very young child, like three or four. Um, the next game system that we got as a family was in the mid nineties. Uh, and it was a Nintendo Game Boy and it was mine. Uh, and I had Tetris and that was the only game I had for a long time until I started buying my own games. Uh, and the first game that I bought myself for my Nintendo Game Boy uh, was uh, Wario Land, I believe was the game. 
the 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 first game where Wario is a playable character. Uh, that was that was the first game I bought, and I was very committed for whatever reason to the Wario games. Like that was my thing. I mean, you could not escape Mario in in the late '80s and early '90s. I was not a video game player, but I knew who Mario was, and I loved Mario. I had a Mario lunchbox uh, that came with like the little thermos, despite. Again, having never really played the game, my cousin was a big video game guy. So I would occasionally, his parents would force him to let me play two-player. And then I realized I was very bad at video games. So I would just, like, watch him play. And that became more fun for me, because I got to actually see it played well. But I was never big on playing video games. It was never my thing. I, so to get back to this movie, I remember seeing, like, pictures and stuff from the movie, like production photos and things as they were coming out. And I remember thinking, I don't know what this is, but it doesn't look like Mario. And so uh, I held off on, and then, you know, the reception around this movie was generally negative spoilers. So I just kind of put it off and never really bothered to see it and just kind of dismissed it as, Oh, this movie is bad. Uh, But now I've seen it for myself and I'm able to formulate my own opinion, which I will hold off on until the end of this episode. Cause I have not talked to you about how I feel about this movie yet. Uh, no, I'm, I'm honestly excited to hear your opinions coming into it with the fresh eyes that you are. Um, I don't know if you... I, so I take it you did not look at my letterbox before. No, man, I wanted I wanted to go into this completely... Um, completely fresh. Cool, I share, love it. Share, share your opinion with me in real time. It's... Okay, great. I'm, I'm excited for that. So yeah, that's kind of my history of... Um, oh... And of course, my major exposure to Mario up to this point in my life was the uh, Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Of course. uh, With Captain Lou Albano. Hell yeah. That for me kind of remains like the most enduring and probably my favorite Mario piece of ephemera, I guess, of all time. Just, you know. Uh, doing the, I will occasionally just hum the words to do the Mario. I can't listen to the Mario theme without singing. Swing your arms from side to side. Come on, it's time to go do the Mario. It's just, it, it's automatic. It just happens. At the beginning of this movie, they do the Mario theme, and I'm da 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 from side to side. It's, uh, it's just, it's automatic. I can't, I can't not do it. I, I feel that there was, there was a time in my life where I also. Love doing the Mario. I got so excited when that show came on, whenever it came on. Absolutely. And I didn't watch it often. uh, But when I did, boy, howdy, the Mario. I need need to get it on DVD. Honestly, it's on DVD. I need to get it. Is it? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. There was a time, and this has nothing to do with anything, in like the late 80s, early 90s, where you knew a character was a big deal, a fictional character. If they had a dance modeled after their character, there was the Do the Bartman dance for bart simpson um steve urkel had his own dance mario had his own i mean that was just like a thing fictional characters if they were a really big deal got their own dance and their own song that told you in the lyrics how to do the dance which is like a throwback to the 60s or something with like the locomotion or whatever uh the twist and all those all those dance songs from the 60s um but i found like that's just a weird piece of pop culture knowledge that for whatever reason is lodged in my head and it's it's there it's never going anywhere that's where it is you've unlocked that piece of memory in my brain because i remember all of that stuff now 
So Mario as a character was created in 1981 uh, by Shingeru Miyamoto. Uh, he was a playable character called Jumpman in Donkey Kong. Uh, was eventually named after uh, a warehouse landlord that Miyamoto had, uh, Mario Segal. So he was named Mario. Oh, interesting bit of trivia here. Yeah. Um, that actually gets a shout out in the background, which a lot of stuff gets shout out in the background of this movie. So much of this movie is like Easter eggs for the video game. Oh, so much. But so, so much. Um, originally, Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, one of one of the ideas for Mario's name is Mr. Video. Yes. Um, and in the background of a scene when they're driving around uh, Brooklyn is there is a Mr. Video one, two and three. Right next to one another. Hilarious. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, and, and there's, I mean, all kinds of stuff like that, um, which I love. Like, I love Easter eggs to begin with, um, and I, I, I made it a point to try to write down as many of them as I found. I caught less than half. Um, like, it's insane how many are in this movie. I, I also have a bunch. And, I mean, that's just, they got, I mean, they got David L. Snyder, the guy that did the art direction for Blade Runner, yes. to do the art direction for this movie. and he. I mean, he does a great job, obviously. It's so good. He was the art director for Blade Runner, for fuck's sake. So, it... <laughs> and he puts so much love into the background of this movie, and yeah. it gets no, I mean, nobody talks about it. Right. I, I thought the creature effects were insane. For the for their time, the, 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 the visual effects were really great. The production design, top to bottom, was outstanding. The world building in general was really amazing. Um just wish it could have been in service to a to a better movie, I think, because uh, I'm I'm a sucker for world building in in films. Like it's oh, it's one of my well in fiction in general. Just what world building is one of my favorite things. And if you can realize that world well, and I think there are aspects of this world that are really well realized, it doesn't serve the film uh, well, unfortunately, and for reasons that I think we'll get into. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Into. We'll probably oh, get into. Yeah, sure. I hope so. <laughs> Uh, I do have this big long history of of uh, Mario. I'm gonna hit the key points because there's a lot of a lot of stuff. Luigi is introduced in the Mario Brothers arcade game in 1983. Uh, his first appearance on a, a television show was the Saturday Supercade, which is a CBS anthology Saturday morning cartoon with like shorts for Qbert and Frogger and a bunch of other video games. But Donkey Kong was one of those. Mario is voiced by uh, Optimus Prime himself, Peter Cullen, uh, in a it, in it, in a voice that doesn't sound anything like Optimus Prime. It's more like a, hey, I'm Mario, and I'm going to do this thing. Uh, a lot more similar to the voice of Mario that we have now, as opposed to the voice of Mario that seemed to be prevalent immediately after this with Bob Hoskins and Lou Albano, the, the gruff Italian plumber. Hey, I'm from Brooklyn, you know. Hey. Which honestly seems more appropriate, I'm not going to lie. It does, but for some reason, whatever the new it's a Mario, hey, like that fits probably just as well with the persona that Mario has adapted and evolved over the course of the last X amount of years. Whatever it fits, I, they both fit. I like them both. I can't decide. Don't make me decide. 1987, uh, the Super Mario Brothers game is released in uh, America with the NES. Uh, we get Princess Toadstool a.k.a. Peach, we get King Koopa, a.k.a. Bowser, we get Toad, all introduced in that game. They're all playable characters except for Bowser in Super Mario Bros. 2 in 1988. Uh, Mario Bros. 3 comes out in 1990 uh, for the NES, and then we get the release of the Super Mario Bros. Super Show in 89, 
with Captain Lou Albano, the great Captain Lou Albano. Uh, and that's the same year that the Game Boy game Super Mario Land comes out. Uh, Wario is introduced in that game. Um, Wario is introduced in Super Mario Land 2. Oh, the, you're right. You're Princess, right. Princess Daisy, Princess Daisy is in Super Mario Land. I actually have that in my notes. I just misread it. <laughs> so, yes, you are <laughs> correct. Look, man, I'm going to be your lore master for a lot of things. And you, you are the master of the lore. So the deeper the lore, the more you're the master. And, of course, Super Mario, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know way more than I should. So. That's fine, dude. That's f- I'm just, I'm, I'm dates, and, dates and key things. But, yes, you're right. Super Mario Land was Princess Daisy, who does appear in this movie, weirdly. And then Super Mario Land 2 is in 1992. That's where we get Wario, who is apparently my favorite Mario character. Right, um, which which I imagine sidetrack again is because Princess Peach hadn't been named yet. She doesn't get Princess Toadstool for the longest time. She was Princess Toadstool, but I think I think maybe they didn't they didn't know like they felt like oh we have this princess that has a name already yeah let's use that one yeah and that's and it kind of feels like Nintendo just went here's the lore here's the stuff use what you want. Uh, right. is kind of the feeling that I got. So they were kind of able to pick and choose what they were able to use because there's not really any real consistency across the, the Mario games from what I can understand. They just kind of like, I like this character from the second game. I want these characters from the first one. That guy from the third game, that's appealing to me. This other stuff is not. Um, Yoshi's a popular character released in the 1990 Super Mario World game, so we've got to include him as a really awesome-looking um, animatronic dinosaur. It's the most adorable animatronic dinosaur since the baby from Dinosaurs. Um, Very true. That's yeah, they're, they're both adorable, and I love them both. Um, 1990, we get a couple of NBC animated shows based around the video game with Mario Brothers 3 and Super Mario World. Mario Kart comes out in 92. Uh, also, Mario Land 2 in 92 as well, the introduction of Wario, which we've covered extensively at this point. And then 1993, we get to this movie. Yeah. For good or ill. <laughs> Here we are. Which, which had been in production since 90. That's probably right. Cause it t- which is why you don't see probably any references to Wario, why Yoshi was kind of an afterthought, why the even though the game had come out, there's not any direct reference to Super Mario Kart, unless you count that weird police car chase. No, I don't think so. No. It, it, I mean, it. if you're looking hard enough, it, you can totally call it a reference, but it's not. It's 100% not. Video game movies, like 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 you said, Brett, the Super Mario Brothers movie is the first adaptation of a video game. But before that, you've got the games that you mentioned, Tron, War Games, Last Starfighter. But you've also got uh, Joysticks, uh, which, as far as I can tell, is like an 80s boob comedy set in a video arcade. Oh, with a name like now that you've said the name and explained it. I, I, yeah. I, you get it? It's a euphemism. I, I get it now. It's a euphemism for a penis. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want that, but I get it. <laughs> uh, a euphemism that has never been used in pop culture ever again. No. No. That, the, those two <laughs> things God. have always remained mutually exclusive. Nightmares, uh, which was a horror anthology movie originally intended as a NBC television show um but instead was turned uh, they filmed four episodes and instead turned those into a movie 
because NBC didn't want it. It was too scary. The second segment of that called The Bishop of Battle is uh, a video game inspired and stars Emilio Estevez. Okay. Um, I might need to look into that because it sounds kind of cool. I was going to say, that sounds like totally up your alley. That just is the kind of thing you would love. Oh, yeah. The video games and horror together in one thing? Yes, that sounds like something I would be into. Absolutely. Um, In 1984, we've got Cloak and Dagger. Uh, which is kind of weird. I read the description of it. It's It stars Dabney Coleman, of all people. So there's that. There's a Canadian film called Hollywood Zap in 1986. Um, I can't find much information, but there's a guy playing an arcade game on the poster, so I'm going to assume that's standard. Uh, and then, of course, ni- the big one, the big one, 1989's The Wizard, that 100-minute-long uh, commercial for Nintendo. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to always refer to it as that because that's essentially what it is. Um, so let's let's actually get into this movie um, then. Um, the first thing we need to do, we don't want to really hit this movie. Like, a lot of podcasts will go through a movie plot point for plot point and kind of talk about it and make fun of it as they go. I don't, we don't want this podcast to be that. So we're going to get the, the plot out of the way just as, as quickly as humanly possible uh, in a little little thing we call Plot in 60 Seconds, uh, where one of us will run down the plot uh, of this movie in 60 seconds or less. We want this to be a podcast of context more than anything. Right. That's what we really want. So to figure out which of us is going to describe the plot, uh, I'm going to flip a coin. Hey, all right. And we're going to decide who gets to, to do the plot in 60 seconds. So I'm going to flip. Brett, I need you to call it in the air. It's in the air. And it's Tails. I don't know if you can see that, but that's Tails, which means it falls to me to recount the plot of this film in 60 seconds or less. So I need you to put 60 seconds on the clock. I need you to tell me when I've got 30 seconds and 10 seconds left. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but hey. Hey, look, man. Let's give you know. it a shot. All right. This is a plot-heavy movie, weirdly. Yeah, weirdly. Um, yeah, so, okay, um, your 60 seconds are on a clock. You may start now. Mario Mario and Luigi Mario are uh, plumbers in New York. Um, oh, but first there's a baby that's dropped off at an orphanage, but it's actually an egg that hatches into a human baby for some reason. Then we flash over to the Mario brothers, who are plumbers in New York. Um, they meet an archaeologist girl named Daisy while they're uh, trying to get to a plumbing job, but they're beaten by those rascally Scapellis. Um, and uh, Daisy uh, goes under the ground because the Scapellis ruined the site where she's digging. Um, and so Mario and Luigi go with her. Seconds. She's kidnapped by the, the I can, uh, Z- Iggy and Spike, they go to Koopa Land. Uh, Koopa's a bad guy, um, played by Dennis Hopper, weirdly, in a weird, weird thing. I'm getting sidetracked completely. Um, <laughs> He wants to uh, fix a meteor that she's had since she was a baby in with the rest of the meteor and merge two dimensions, one where humans evolve from mammals, the other where humans evolve from lizards into one so he can conquer both of them. Uh, he is eventually defeated by the Mario Brothers, de-evolved into ooze. Uh, everyone else is re-evolved. That is 60 seconds. And they all live happily ever after. <clears throat> wow. Wow, this, this plot of this movie. It's it, dumb. It's all over the place, man. Uh, it's dumb. <laughs> so let let me after since we've synopsed what the plot actually was. Yeah, um, more or less. I mean, there's obviously some stuff that didn't get included, but you know, what are you gonna do? Well, sure. So since we've done that, let let me 
give you some some notes about what the plot was before this. So one of the first uh, scripts was it. I, I see what Nintendo was trying to do here. They they actually tapped Dustin Hoffman and Barry Morrow and Ronald Bass, the writers of Rain Man. Yeah. They they wanted to make like this serious Oscar bait style script, and that didn't really go anywhere. Um, Love that idea. Well, no, I heard that Nintendo actually didn't want Hoffman. Like they were the ones that were like, no, no Hoffman, absolutely not. That it was the Purdue because it was there was this huge bidding war for Mario for the Mario rights. And it was eventually won by Roland Jaffe, who was a very Oscar Beatty filmmaker in the 80s. He did 1984's The Killing Fields, 1986's The Mission. I mean, that's kind of the stuff. Oscar Bait was the stuff he was known for. I think Nintendo's only directive is we want it to be a darker in tone movie. At least that's that's what I had read. And they were the ones that ultimately said no to Hoffman. That, that comes later. Um, yeah, Roland Joffe does eventually get it, but he's, you know, he gets it and that's when he, um, taps the directors and gets the final script laid in place that gives us what we just watched. Before that, though, um, after the Dustin Hoffman, uh, drafts, um, that also for a brief time had Danny DeVito playing Mario. They wanted him to direct at one point as well. Yeah. Torque. I love Danny DeVito as a director. I think he's a great director. Well, yeah. And I mean, and that was before he went off and did Hoffa. And then, so this one, which which I love. I honestly, legitimately love this, like, the second script. Okay. That, that was, that guy actually got to the first draft phase, which was, it was written by Steven D'Souza, um, which, I mean, you might know from, like, Stay Tuned. Yep. Um, he went on to write well, part of the team that wrote Richie Rich and the Flintstones. Yeah, Steven DeSouza, uh, big, big, he did a lot of action movies too, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I was going to say, I think that's more what he's known for. He was one of the writers on Die Hard, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, first of all, he's good at adaptation. I mean, look at that. Um. But, like, he wrote this script that, and him and his team, uh, wrote, hmm. this, wrote this script that was, like, it had a very, like, 80s Jim Henson vibe to it. It was it was very like labyrinth, very dark crystal, um, fantasy kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and like, like it, they had even started to create some of the creatures. They they had started working on the props for the piranha plants and the props for the swamps. Um, oh, man, I would have loved to see what those looked like. Yeah, and I mean it, it wasn't done by the Jim Henson company, obviously, but it, it was. But these the, these puppets were produced and. Honestly, if they look half as good as the Goombas look in this movie, I am 100% on board with whatever that was. Because the Goombas look incredible in this movie. So, like, yeah, it, it had them going on this fantasy adventure to rescue uh, the princess, um, which was still Daisy in this draft. Like, it was, in all of the drafts, it was never Princess Toadstool. It was always Daisy. I'm not oh, sure. Because Toadstool is not exactly the most feminine of names? Probably not, no. And even if, and as a weird Nintendo lore sidetrack, Luigi and Daisy have always been the couple. It's been Mario and Princess Peach and Luigi and Daisy. And But that didn't really get set in stone until they made Daisy a full-fledged character later on after Mario 64, which is after this movie. I was going to say, do we have this movie to, to thank for the Daisy-Luigi pairing? We very well might. 
Because if so, that's one of the two enduring legacies of this movie on the Mario brand. The other, of course, being Mario and Luigi's last name. Oh, right, yeah, Mario, Mario, and Luigi, Mario. Which is the best joke in the movie. It is, a lot definitely. Of, a lot of people hate it, and I, I totally understand why. It's a dumb joke. Oh, absolutely. But it is the best joke in the It's so good. Because oh. it, it's something that n- nobody's ever mentioned. It's one of those things in the background. You just think, oh, it's Super Mario Brothers. It's just the name of the game. You don't think that it's their names. Yeah, and according to the IMDb trivia, the ever-reliable IMDb trivia that is always thoroughly researched and never wrong about anything, uh, Mario is apparently a very uncommon Italian surname. So while very unlikely, it is entirely possible that someone could be named Mario Mario. Um, Again, I don't know how accurate that is. That's IMDb trivia. But I just love the idea that they're like, no, 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 that could totally be. When in reality, you know that they're just like, this is a dumb joke for a kid's movie. Um, Let's throw it in. To which point I am thrilled because I'm like, yes. And that is canon. Like, the creator of Mario has said, this is Mar- Mario's name is Mario Mario. Yep. To which I say, thank you, Shingeru Miyamoto, for, for including that in the lore. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, so that's, and that's, that's that script, um, which I think would have been great. I mean, it was, it was a little bloated because it was a first draft, obviously. Right, and those always um, tend to get cut down anyway. Yeah, so I mean, there was a lot a good, a lot of good stuff there. So the next, the next script that Roland Jaffe gets once he gets a hold of it um, is the one that gets darker. Um, it starts to get darker and more gritty and more adult. And there's totally precedent for that because this is 1993, and the biggest thing of this kind is Tim Burton's Batman in 1989, which. Most people's only exposure to Batman prior to that had been the campy Adam West TV show. So you take this thing that's like very bright and happy and peppy and you make it very dark and very dour. And that became like a trend. Whenever you're adapting something like this, you try to make it darker and grittier and more grounded. I mean, uh, that's what Warren Beatty did with Dick Tracy because Dick Tracy was supposed to be like a direct. It came out the next year. It was a direct response to Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, whereas Tim Burton's Batman was drawing on the German Expressionism stuff that Tim Burton absolutely loves. Beatty was drawing on those old 30s and 40s film noirs, uh, but putting them in like very bright, very vibrant color to look like a comic strip. Uh, I just watched that movie the other day, and it's it holds up. It's incredible. Like Dick Tracy, a movie we're totally going to talk about at some point, and I'm very excited to talk about it one day whenever we get there. Um, but I mean, but that was kind of the 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 thing at the time was to try to ground everything, make it a little darker, a little grittier, uh, make it for kids and adults at the same time. Uh, and so you totally see, because Batman, a movie kids saw, a movie marketed toward kids, not really a kids movie. Batman Returns came out the year before. Uh, it was definitely not for kids. Michelle Pfeiffer in that movie, not for kids. But I mean, you can see that's kind of what they're going for. In fact, I I. Saw in, in my research, Rocky Morton said to Annabelle Jankel, this this could be our Batman. So that's very much, I think, what they had in mind when they were going into all of this. They were they were wanting to do their Batman. And for good or ill, better or worse, that's kind of what we have, or at least in in some respect, that's kind of what we get with this movie. 
And then there were also notes, um, interesting enough, to, to make it like Ghostbusters, too. They wanted, like, the goofy blue-collar workers, um, you know, the, the cynical... Yeah, they know. wanted Mario to be like a Bill Murray type, to the point where they even go to Harold Ramis, who is Bill Murray's guy, and were like, hey, do you want to direct this movie? Uh, to which he says no. <laughs> Which good for him. Good yeah, for him. probably wise. Uh, I, the only director I've not mentioned yet is Greg Beeman, who is the first director they wanted for the for the movie. He had one movie out, Licensed to Drive, which was a Corey's vehicle, Heyman Feldman. Uh, and then his second movie, Mom and Dad Save the World, apparently when Roland Joffe saw that movie, he's like, never mind. What? Wow. All right. Yeah. And that's 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 what I have found in my research. True or not, very funny. Well, so um, after that, you know, you, you get the dark, gritty version. That's and that's this is when this big cast signs on um, because the script is it has a lot of like subversive uh, self awareness, political satire in it. Interesting. Um, um, and. That really appealed to, um, especially uh, Bob Hoskins, apparently. Well, and I mean, that's kind of the stuff that Jenkel and Morton were known for at the time, because these are the two behind Max Headroom, which I went down a deep Max Headroom rabbit hole in preparation for this episode, like deep Max Headroom rabbit hole. Um, I probably know more about Max Headroom and the creation of Max Headroom than I do about this movie. Um, because. Okay. I, I went deep, man. I, and Max Headroom was one of those like weird pieces of 80s culture that, for whatever reason, I carry with me all the time. But like no one remembers who Max Headroom is. Um, but that was very much what Max Headroom was. Uh, it was this comment on 80s capitalistic society. Max Headroom is kind of this arch conservative. Like the very first joke he ever tells on the Max Headroom show is a joke, a long extended joke in German, uh, played as a, a prelude to a German music video. Uh, and he never comments on it, never says, you know, oh, that was in German, just never explains it, just tells this long joke in perfect German, segues to a video, commercial. Max Headroom was, the, Max Headroom was weird. And the fact that Max Headroom, like, became a huge thing, that he was one of the advertisers for New Coke, the whole, all of Max Headroom, weird. Koopa in this movie, is like Donald Trump with Max Headroom's haircut. It's a weird thing, man. It's a it's a weird, weird thing. Uh, and that's what these people were known for. They had directed, I think, one other movie, DOA, which bombed. It was not a success. But you can see a lot of the aesthetics and the sensibilities uh, from their Max Headroom days coming into Super Mario Brothers. And when we start to see that, well, they wanted something darker, they wanted something grittier with political satire, etc., they bring in Morton and Jankel, who are kind of known for that. And also, really good at world building. And that seems to be what their preoccupation was with this film, which is why they were perhaps not the best fit for this film. Well, and another reason for that is because they're big sci-fi fans. Yeah. Oh, oh um, that's, that's clear from the get-go. Yeah, they're, I mean, you bring them onto this fantasy setting what is supposed to be a fantasy setting right. and i mean sure they're wanting to make it darker and whatnot but like they 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 don't go dark fantasy they go dark sci-fi right um so like their influences are people like philip k dick and like you know you've got like the neuromancer and the the blade runner vibes all over this thing all over um, it 
and like that, the cyberpunk kind of Super Mario thing. Oh yeah, um, it doesn't fit. Like it, it, I definitely. Once we get to our opinions on this movie, you'll see. Like I, I don't hate on this movie as much as most people do. I still don't think this aesthetic fits with Super Mario Brothers. It just, Let me be clear. I love this aesthetic. The world that they have built is amazing. Oh, I absolutely agree. It is so well thought out. Like, okay, you've got a world where dinosaurs evolved into humans. Do they do? What do they do instead of cars? Everything's electric because they don't have fossil fuels. Just stuff like that. Everyone's wearing leather because there's there no furs, no mammals. Like the stuff like that, unbelievable, unreal, completely. But it it just you try to basically you take they're taking that and trying to like squeeze Mario in around the edges. And you're right, it doesn't really work. If this hadn't been a Mario movie, I think it would have been even better received. Yeah. Which I mean, it, you know, and we'll talk about the box office, but like it it had a lot going against it anyway. Because there was, you know, there was a, a Carnosaur a little bit before this, which well, is a horror, horror film, and Jurassic Park right after. So Two weeks after Jurassic weeks Park. After. Yeah. You've got, the early 90s were like dinosaur crazy. Like, you've got so many dinosaur movies coming out in, in the early 90s. You've got We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, Jurassic Park. You've got um, Carnosaur, like you mentioned, Prehysteria, Theodore Rex. That's just the ones I can remember off the top of my head. People were nuts for dinosaurs in the early 90s. I don't, I mean, I don't remember that being the case, but Hollywood was cranking out a bunch of dinosaur movies. So that must have been the case on some level. Uh, but you you do, you've got... I, I was dinosaur crazy as a kid, so I get it. I mean, I was dinosaur crazy when I was younger in the 80s, but like, but I guess everyone else kind of hit that in the 90s. Um, which, which, but you know, again, that's just... These things kind of come in shifts and come in waves, so whatever it makes sense. But you you start to see why the dinosaurs became such a an essential piece of this movie because that's a direction that Hollywood was going. And you've got these characters that are functionally lizards in the game anyway. You know the Koopas, the Koopa Troopas, Bowser, etc. Well, and why Super not? Super Mario World takes place in Dinosaur Land, right? Or in this movie, Dino Hatton, because it's not Manhattan. You see, it's Dino, because they're evolved from dinosaurs. Right. So it's Dino Hatton. Get it? Yeah. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> grab you by the sides of the head. Do you get it yet? It's subtle. It's very subtle. So, so we've got this dark and gritty script. This is the script that gets us Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, um, Samantha Mathis, Dennis Hopper. I, I want to run down some of the names that they considered for Mario, Luigi, and uh, Koopa before we get too deep into the into the rest of this because, wow, we've mentioned Dustin Hoffman and Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito is probably their first choice for Mario because he's riding high in the early '90s. Uh, they also asked. They also talked to Cheech Marin apparently about playing Mario, and he turned them down. Basically, anyone with a mustache, they were kind of like really keen to try to get in. Uh, they eventually settled on Bob Hoskins, who I think is great. He's kind of riding high after Who Framed Roger Rabbit in '89. Um, so you've got you've got he's he's kind of an obvious choice uh, for that role. He does the Brooklyn accent shockingly well. Uh, you can tell which scenes he's drunk in because he kind of slips into a little bit of the Cockney through the Brooklyn a little bit um, as you're watching the movie. So that's that's a fun game you can play while you're watching this movie. 
for Luigi, uh, Tom Hanks was ready to play the role. America's dad, Tom Hanks, was ready to play the role of Luigi in 1993, or probably 92 or whenever. But because he was just coming off of The Burbs and The Bonfire of the Vanities and like this string of movies that did not do well in theaters, uh, they did not consider him bankable enough to play Luigi in the Super Mario Brothers movie, which just like this is the one point in Tom Hanks's career because this is the year before Forrest Gump. So, I mean, if you pick like a point in Tom Hanks's career to call him unbankable, like this is the only time you can call Tom Hanks unbankable, like in his entire arc of his career. This is a crossroads for the ages, right? So, like, right. if they take if they take a chance on him, he probably doesn't make Forrest Gump and he doesn't become America's dad. Correct. So this is this is the biggest bullet possibly any actor has ever dodged. Right. Which, I mean, good for him. Instead, they get John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo actually, like, is offered a TV show, like, in the vein of, like, a home improvement or something. You know, the 90s were when all these stand-ups were getting their own TV shows. He turned it down because after he got this movie, he thought he was too big for TV. He managed to recover, though. He did. He did. It took him a while. Uh I mean, he had to make, you know, The Pest and a few other movies first, but he got there. Yeah. And then, of course, for Koopa, uh, the main villain, my two favorite names of the ones that I read, uh, Michael Keaton and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I heard the Arnold Schwarzenegger one. That would have been great. I, I honestly, Arnold is still a little too big of a star. Like, we're still a few years off from Batman and Robin, which ultimately kind of sinks him. And makes him decide to go into politics, but he's still, I think, a little too big. If Arnold Schwarzenegger had taken this role, it would have been like a like a Tim Burton's Batman situation where you've got the villain build above the heroes of the movie. It would have been Arnold Schwarzenegger with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. But I think Keaton would have done a really good job, especially seeing kind of the villainous turns he's taken more recently, particularly in Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, Keaton is a villain. I like that. That's a good look. For sure. But then but then you don't get Dennis Hopper chewing the shit out of the scenery for like an hour and a half. Here's the thing. Dennis Hopper is Dennis Hopper and Bob Hoskins are the two best things about this movie. Uh after like in terms of the acting. Um they are they're doing their level best with this turd of a script. And and these are the two actors that I think probably complained the most about the movie in in retrospect. Like Hopper, I think both of them, I think, said it was the worst movie they'd ever made and the only regret they had in their entire careers, um, which is saying something, really. I heard a quote from Dennis Hopper that said, uh, like, it, it bought his kids some shoes. Like, that, that, and he, that's how he remembers it. Like it, it. And his kids said, I don't need shoes that bad. <laughs> right. That's the quote. That's the end of the quote. He's like, why did you make that movie? Well, you needed shoes. Dad, I didn't need shoes that badly. Okay. Right. Um that's great. I think that is great. But Hopper is basically, like, I don't think we would have known it at the time, because while we did know who Donald Trump was, I don't think we knew him as the megalomaniac. But he is, this could be a Donald Trump biopic, and I would completely buy it. He looks like Donald Trump. He sounds like Donald Trump. He's a racist, germaphobe, NYC, real estate mogul like Donald Trump. He's got a tower with his name on His name is everywhere like Donald Trump. I, I mean, it's he's Donald Trump. It It's insane to me 
that like we predicted the Trump presidency in the Super Mario Brothers movie in 1993. Weird. Yeah. That it's it's the truly the most bizarre thing I have ever seen, and I am totally here for it. Like I think I put in my notes. Can you imagine Dennis Hopper in a Donald Trump biopic? What a missed opportunity. Yeah. Dennis Hopper, rest in power. Uh, Bob Hoskins also rest in power. Those guys uh, gone too soon. Uh, honestly, they could have lived forever and been gone too soon because those guys are great. Absolutely. Which, you know, speaking of those two, like everybody in this movie has great chemistry with one another. They do. I mean, you get the the feeling that Mario and Luigi are brothers. Like you get that that comes through in the subtext. And I mean, and it just reminds you that these guys are really good actors, you know, and 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 the dialogue is awful. And you can tell most of them hate it. And you, know, like you can see the contempt just dripping off of Dennis Hopper in every time he has to open his mouth. But holy cow, is he is he killing it? Like, he's good. The movie's not good, but he's good. And see, to finish up the, the different yeah. scripts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were getting rewritten scenes every day. Like, almost hourly. Like, new lines were being fed to the actors almost hourly. So, the, like, Hoskins and Hopper and probably a few others were just like, I'm not even going to bother memorizing this until the cameras are rolling. Yeah, so the fact that they have such good chemistry under that under those circumstances, and apparently how bad the directors were to work for, um, yeah. it's, it's incredible. Just It goes to show the caliber of every actor in this movie. And how well acted the movie is under all of that stress. Yeah, it's, I mean, there are so many, like, little bright spots in this movie that are, to that totally do not redeem the movie at all, but are just so fun to see and to watch. Um, it's, it's enjoyable. There, there are moments in this film that are legitimately enjoyable. And, and the chemistry between the actors is, is, is one of those things. I like it. I like it a lot. The other great thing we haven't mentioned yet is the Alan Silvestri score. Yeah, which I'm I, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of bummed we did not get orchestral arrangements of the original Mario tracks and themes. I think that would have been great. But Silvestri is, is a consummate pro. He is, he is good. It, this is not his best score by a long shot, but it is not bad either. It's still memorable when when I hear when I hear certain themes in the background of this movie, I recognize them. They they bring back good memories. Like oh, I remember this. Like they're... whereas whereas for me, the the one song in this movie that really brings up the good memories uh, involves opening doors, getting on floors, and walking dinosaurs. Uh, yes, I can I can thank this movie for introducing me to that song. Yeah, George Clinton. That's the George Clinton cover of the Was Not Was song. Uh, walk the dinosaur which um is i would say a better version one of those cover versions that's better than the original that doesn't happen often but uh but yeah i uh i love it go george yeah absolutely um but that's that's i mean that's that's pretty much that's the scripts man it, it took a journey uh, you, one name you did not mention that you probably should have mentioned, uh, particularly given that we have a new Bill and Ted movie coming out later this year, uh, within probably a couple months, within a month probably of this episode airing, uh, is uh, uh, Ed Solomon, the uh, one of the two creators of Bill and Ted. 
Okay, I, I did not see that uh, in wait. my research, so thank you for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No problem. And like I said, just just worth mentioning. And he's he's the reason that a lot of the the actors became uh, uh the began to become disgruntled. Uh, although, like we said, the production on this film was very rough. Um, the directors were not really experienced with a film of this size and this caliber and by any by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, this was something they were completely unaccustomed to. And I think when the first Solomon rewrites came out, like Rocky Morton destroyed a bunch of set pieces. Um, like he was, they were just kind of tyrannical. They weren't on the same page. They would give actors conflicting reports. They would give crew members conflicting reports. Basically, the one thing that united the cast and crew on this movie was how much they hated Morton and Jen Cal, who were a husband and wife team. They're British, but they were just widely regarded as terrible. Working conditions were awful. Um, Rocky Morton decided that an extra's costume wasn't dirty enough, so he took a cup of hot coffee and poured it on the extra, uh, who got burned when it went under his mask. Just you hear stuff like that, reports like that coming off the off the set, um, completely unprofessional. Um, Hopper screamed at the directors and the producer for like three hours one day. Like it was just a, and because of that. The actors were getting drunk almost constantly. Bob Hoskins had an ever-present bottle of scotch. He and Leguizamo would drink from it whenever they could, which is why I say you could tell when Hoskins was drunk on set, because the cockney does start to slip in a few scenes. There was one scene where the Leguizamo had to drive the, the, the van, the Mario Brothers van, at the beginning of the film, and they had been drinking Hoskins scotch. Hoskins had his hand out the door of the van. Leguizamo slams the brakes to hit his mark and the van door swings out and closes on Bob Hoskins hand. Uh, Leguizamo said that he unleashed uh, Cockney Tourette's just bloody just on and on because Bob Hoskins, incredibly British, very British, just this long string of like Cockney profanity had to get a cast because his hand was very well and truly broken at that point, uh, which the, 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 the crew decided that they would basically paint flesh tone so it would match his hand. So if you see at any point in the movie, Mario's hand doesn't look quite right, probably because of that accident that occurred. Rather than delaying filming or whatever, they just said, oh, no, we got to keep going. Just color the cast pink. It's fine. Wow. Yeah. That's some trivia I didn't know about. That's, that's uh, ridiculous. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. To your point about script rewrites, Fisher Stevens and uh, Richard Edson, who play Iggy and Spike, respectively. Fisher Stevens, probably best known as the Indian guy from Short Circuit movies. Uh, he's not Indian, by the way. He just played one. Uh, that That's always a good look. Brown face. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Uh, we we all love that. Yikes. Uh, and Richard, Ed Richard Edson, probably best known as the... Um, the car park attendant in Fisher, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm, um, yes. Uh, they are the uh, the Koopa cousins, uh, Iggy and Spike, named after one of the Koopalings and a random Mario villain, respectively. They basically just decided to improv all their dialogue because they said, screw it. And honestly, I want to watch whatever movie they're a part of because they are almost always a delight. Every time they're on screen, I'm having a good time. Um, Absolutely. They they come off as like the uh like Pain and Panic in the Hercules Disney movie. Like they're this duo of very like solid comedic duo that just lighten up them every scene they're in. 
they're, they're like a villainous Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and I am 100% here for it. Like, it, they're great. I love them. Uh, I want an Iggy and Spike spinoff movie. That's that's something that I want. I, I need that in my life. I want the video game adaptation that they talk about in the in the stinger scene at the end of the credits. Yeah. Um, the, the Super Koopa Cousins. I want that game. <laughs> I think that would be a really fun game. I would play the heck out of it. Sounds great. I want it. Uh, any any other production pieces that we need to discuss? I mean, we've we've gone pretty deep on the we have which on this altogether, which which we probably won't regularly. But there's just so much to unpack with this movie and its production. And here's the thing: we've barely scratched the surface. There is so much information out there about this movie. Uh, there is an archive online, uh, uh, sm smbmovie.com, uh, that has articles, trailers, featurettes production schematics, scripts, anything you could possibly want to know about the development of this movie is on that website. And it's it's a treasure trove. Um, Brett, I know you weren't a fan of the editorials <laughs> on this. No, I, I won't. I won't really, you know, be too catty about it, but I, I'm not a fan of his opinion. But, you know, hey, you don't have to be. No. That's why it's an opinion. Yeah, there, but um, there's tons of good content on there. It's 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 a treasure trove. So if you want to dig into the the Super Mario Brothers movie, hopefully we've given you a good foundation to go off of. But there is there's guys, there's so much more we can't get to because this podcast has to end at some point. Um, I mean, we could just go and go and go. Yeah, because I mean, we could talk about post post production about like the editing of this movie, where like some scenes just end. And there's like they, they locked the directors out of the editing room, like they would not let them go into the editing room uh, because someone released a piece talking to the cast and crew about how much they hated the directors and what a troubled production it was. Um, basically, this ended Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel's careers in Hollywood. Rocky Morton has still to this day never directed another movie, uh, and Annabelle Jenkel has directed two. Uh, one is uh, this weird TV movie called Skellig, the Owl Man, starring Tim Roth, uh, which I have never heard of and looks really weird. Uh, and the other is, um, oh, I forget the name of the film, but it's it's a it's a lesbian period drama, uh, you know, which seems to make a lot of sense from the director of Super Mario Brothers. It stars Anna Paquin, I believe. Uh, let me get the name of it here because I'm going to tell it to the bees. In 2018. So she has had more success, I think, than Rocky Morton. But uh, honestly, at that point after that, they pretty much went back to music videos uh, for a little while. Uh, Directed a Talking Heads video. Yeah, after after this, they had a hard time getting work for a very long time because their names were the ones that were attached to the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. And because they were such awful people to work with god there's so much to talk about here but let's you know let's move past the production yeah let's let's get to the release so this was released on may 28th uh 2000 or 2000 1993 good heavens i can't my brain is my brain is turning into fungus is what it's doing oh lance henriksen cameo i didn't even think didn't even talk about it i love lance henriksen he's in this movie for like five seconds as the mushroom king he coughs rice krispies out of his mouth it's great uh, he says the words, I'm back, and that's literally all he has to do in this movie. Honestly, I think he should have done the opening narration instead of Dan Castellanata. 
I think he would have probably been a better fit than whatever Dan is doing at the beginning of this movie, like Brooklyn Homer Simpson or whatever. But well, yeah, but uh, you know that the beginning of that movie was rushed. Um, they didn't know how to open the movie. Yeah, well, um, and they needed to kind of set up the world because apparently it, the movie itself didn't do a good enough job of that. Question well, mark. I the studio didn't think so. Right, and so they basically did this weird 16-bit dinosaur thing with Dan doing the opening narration and basically explaining the premise of the two dimensions. Uh, it's not good. It's very bad. I don't like it. I don't like that opening. Um, this movie opened at number four uh, and was seen by a young Brett Wright that opening weekend. Uh, it made $8.5 million. Uh, came in at number four behind Rennie Harlan's Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone and John Lithgow, was number one. Uh, the Whoopi Goldberg Ted Danson comedy Made in America at number two. Uh, both of those opened uh, opposite Super Mario Brothers. Uh, and then in number three, Ivan Reitman's Dave with Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver in its fourth week. Four weeks in, Dave. Dave, a comedy where Kevin Klein plays a presidential impersonator who literally impersonates the president. Uh, comes in at number three ahead of Super Mario Brothers in its fourth week in theaters. Not not a good sign. Not a good sign. Um, the total box office gross, it gets uh, $20.8 million altogether uh, in its entire box office run. That's domestic, not worldwide. I wasn't able to check the worldwide numbers. Um, but So not a good multiplier, as they say in the industry. Uh, it was named one of Siskel and Ebert's worst films of 1993. Uh, it currently has a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, no Metacritic score to speak of at all. Like, it's not on Metacritic. I checked. Uh, but it also has an average of 1.8 stars on Letterboxd. Uh, so generally speaking, still not favorably regarded amongst uh, amongst critics or uh, or just a casual moviegoer. Uh, Brett, what did you think about this movie? I mean, you know, over the course of the podcast, I think we've we've figured out my opinion. Or, you know, it's as a kid, I loved it because you know I, I could look in the background and see all these things like being, and and I still sort of get that. Like watching it again, have so many years later, like you look in the background and you see Hammer Brothers tattoos or the Wiggler Cab Company, um, and you know you see bullet bills and Baboms, you know, a Babam being a big deal at the end of the movie. Absolutely. Um, there is a so moment, like, okay, that moment at the end where you've got the babam and you've got all these like confluent elements coming together, Big Bertha and the Thwomp Stompers, all this stuff coming together is building up to what should be a really cool, huge moment that ultimately amounts to nothing. And I was I was like, oh, was this going to get good? Is this going to be transcendent? Oh, no, it's not. All the all the all the pieces of this movie. Great. You know, the the sound design, the production, the acting, you know, all of it. The only the only thing that sucks is the writing and and just in the direction and the editing. I mean the editing's real bad, you know. Especially at the beginning. It's most notable at the beginning when there's very clearly some just scenes where they just end for no apparent reason, or scenes yeah. where like there's a huge jump in time oh. that makes no sense. You know, that's that's rough. But uh, you know, other than that, th there's a lot of good here. There's there's a lot more good here than I remember. I mean, is is it eight? five stars? Yeah, I I mean, I'd probably I I would be generous and probably give it a three out of five. Um, generous. It is it is generous, but like I, 
I think you have to take it in context. Like you have you have to know all the troubles that this movie was plagued with. And the fact that it managed to make something that had potential is incredible based on everything that it went through. Um, and so maybe that extra star is a sympathy star. Um, but, you know, it was the whatever. The movie is kind of a miracle in its own way, it just in that all of these disparate elements can come together to make one whole. Um, so this movie, on that basis, is kind of a miracle. I, I don't know that I'm going to look on it as favorably as you do, but... No, probably probably not. And, and you know, it, that maybe, like, there's a half a sympathy star, and then there's a half a star for the Mario Mario joke. And then we'll just... There you great go. Joke. It's, it it's such a great joke. I love it. It's my favorite part of this movie. Here's the thing. There are so many things in this movie to like, but the movie itself is so much worse than the sum of its parts because you can see potentially what it could have been because of all those other things being so good. Like, I'm a sucker for world building. I love it. I've said it before. I will probably say it five or six more times tomorrow like within the context of this episode i don't know i don't know how much longer we're wrapping up but you know what i mean like i love world building it's great um so i i'm I'm a big fan like i love all these actors these are great actors i love the just the the look of this thing i love the character design i love the creature design like there's so much in this movie i love but there's no characterization which is the main reason i go to see movies characterization and plot both of which are murky as hell. Like they're just not good in this movie. And that that's why I want to see a movie. I want to see a movie for those two reasons primarily. And if you can't back up good world building with those two things, then it's world building for world building's sake. And I'm sorry, but I just I I can't get behind that. Like and yeah, I agree. Like this movie is kind of a miracle that it endured everything that it had to endure and still came out like it, it it still was was something they put forward but at a certain point i think generally a studio will say well we've sunk this much money into it so we're just going to release it which is kind of what this feels like um like i said i would rather have an iggy and spike spinoff than uh than this movie probably um because i love iggy and spike so very very much they are my two best friends and i cherish them in the depths of my heart so ultimately if i'm going to rank this out of out of five stars i'm going to be significantly harsher than you uh, I'm, I'm just going to tell you this because you know, you know what this means before I even say it. I ranked this on Letterboxd lower than my first watch of the original Friday the 13th, which you know I did not look favorably upon upon first watch. Um, I, I ranked this one one star. I, I gave it I gave it a single solitary star, one out of five. I didn't like it. Like as I liked pieces of it, and as much as I thought pieces of it were really good like I said, it's so much worse than the sum of its parts. And I think, I think that largely because you can see the potential that's there. You can see the makings of a really good sci-fi movie. You can see the makings of what could be a really iconic Mario movie, but ultimately they just, they don't, they don't get there on any level. Um, so I've, I've got to, I've, I've got to score it low and Hey, you can disagree with us if you want to. It's okay to like a movie. It's okay. That if this is your favorite movie of all time, first of all, let us know because I want to know who you are. Like I really do. If you're the guy who runs sbmmovie.com, like seriously, write to us. Let us know. Yeah, hit us, um, hit us up on so, Twitter with hashtag Trust the Fungus. Yes, hashtag Trust the Fungus. Uh, we are. Well, you can actually find us on Twitter. Uh, I, I we're not quite ready to wrap up yet, but we'll, we'll give our Twitter Twitter handles at the end. 
because we've still got a couple more things to do before we completely wrap up. Uh, the main thing being discussing that sequel hook at the end. Uh, that thing that tells us that this was truly meant to be a franchise that was supposed to endure. Um, three weeks after the events of the movie, Daisy is left behind in Dino Hatton to rule her country alongside her father, question mark, uh, who's now Lance Henriksen again after being a fungus the whole movie, question mark. Uh, Daisy comes busting in the door. Uh, with a a huge, just a big-ass gun in her hand, and says, oh, you're not going to believe it. Mario immediately grabs his tool belt, and says, oh, I believe. And Luigi's like, you do? Because that was something that happened literally at the very beginning of the movie that they don't call back until the very end of the movie. And they go off on what is sure to be another wild and wacky adventure that we never got, which is why we're discussing it on this podcast, because it's a franchise of one. A failed franchise. Let me stop you right there, Stephen. We did sort of get a sequel. Now, I know... This is the this is the first episode, and we're already kind of breaking our rules. But we did sort of get a sequel. It was it was released um, as I didn't, know, I didn't see this on Bob Hoskins' IMDb though. <laughs> well, so here's the thing: it was it was released as a web comic. Um, oh, one of those one of those. Count. Well, I mean, no, not for our purposes. It doesn't, um, and it also wasn't even uh finished um because uh for budgetary reasons i'm not really sure i couldn't find a whole lot of information about why they stopped like um, they stopped writing it in like 2015 or something is that right yes they they got almost to the end and then yeah they had to stop they were they were doing a gofundme campaign to try to get the rights to finish it maybe that's what happened probably a um, rights issue i mean that doesn't surprise me in the least it probably was a rights issue um but I mean, it was done with the help of Parker Bennett, who was one of the uh, writers on the movie. Um, Parker Bennett can't lose. Yeah. So I mean, that's good. He he took the script and took it in the direction that he thought it should have went to, which was apparently Wart, who is the main antagonist of Super Mario Brothers Two, the video game, um, had been working with Koopa all this time. Um, has his secret liaison in the real world to merge the two worlds together. Um, and with Koopa out of the way now, Wart could take over. Um, so this alternate dimension opens in Dino Hatton, which Daisy witnesses, and these, you know, new monsters pour through this other dimensional portal. There's there's a third dimension now. Oh, would this movie have been in 3D? Maybe. Unlock the third dimension. <laughs> um, so then, she, you know, she goes to, to grab the Mario Brothers and bring them back to Dino Hatton to stop... Uh, Wart and his uh, new plan. They they finally they they name the king in the second one is he is King Resnor, which uh, which is is named after an enemy from Super Mario World, who is in turn named after the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails. So, say named after that great Mario character Trent Reznor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good to so, know that joke would have actually worked. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would have. It would have. Um. So yeah. It's. It's uh it's interesting. Um the the comic tried well this, I guess the sequel movie would have tried a lot to align it um with the games more. It would have tried to world build a lot more. You would have seen a lot more. You could world build more. I you know, so much world building in this movie. I mean there is. 
Um, so I guess you know, one of the things I like most about it. They they expand on it. Uh, Bertha becomes like the chief of police after Koopa falls. Um, I like that. Um, so like yeah, there's there's a lot of again there's a lot of good stuff that could have potentially been in a sequel. So you know you have an outline of what could have been. This is this is rare. We don't usually get to see this. This is. A, a brief glimpse into what could have been. I'm assuming the only reason this exists is because there are people out there who really do love this movie um, and who just like this is one of their favorite movies. And you know what? Good for you guys. See, I watching this, I was like, the sequel should have Donkey Kong as the as the villain. Like I wanted to see because they, they're doing the lizard thing in the first one. I want to see him go back to Mario's roots and do the mammal thing in the sequel. But um, but apparently that was not what they had in mind, which is fine, I guess. Um, but yeah, I would have I would have liked to see Donkey Kong. There is a weird reference to Donkey Kong in the movie, uh, in Mario's girlfriend, who in the like one of the script early versions of the script, uh, was revealed to be named like her middle name was Pauline. Yes. Uh, which is the name of Mario's girlfriend in Donkey Kong, uh, that he's rescuing from Donkey Kong. So I would have I would have liked to see that. Give Dana Kaminsky something else to do because she's great. Yeah, so so we've got that sequel hook. Um, based on what you've read of that comic, because I've not read it, um, what is that a sequel you would have liked to see made? Does this film? Would you like to have seen this film franchise continue as as laid out by that sequel hook? Honestly, yeah, I absolutely would have. Because I mean, I also enjoy this movie more than you do. Um, and I mean, there's you know, there's probably another half a star somewhere in there for just pure nostalgia. Um, you know, because I loved this movie as a kid. Um, and I mean, I had a poster of it in my room. I collected the trading cards. Like I, I, wow. I really enjoyed this movie as a kid because it was, yes. it was a live action interpretation of a game that I loved. And you know, I, I sure I grew up and became a cynical critiquer of movies, but you know, there's still that, like, there's still that part of me that still loves this movie deep down. And I, I won't defend it because I know. You can defend it. That's fine. I, uh, but I, I mean, I can't though. Like, I can't in good conscience defend it as a good movie. Sure. And but but in in another rarity, it's almost not the movie's fault. Like because of all the crap it went through. There's just a lot of really dumb studio decisions that ruined it. Um, yeah. I mean, bad decisions across the board. Like, there's there's a lot of people making a lot of bad decisions to get to a movie like this. Yeah. And and also, you know, you, you at the end of the day, you can go to uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, who even said he didn't want the adaptation of the movie to be a direct adaptation. He wanted it to be different. He wanted it to be its own thing. In uh, fact, I think I, I read somewhere that he said it adhered too closely to the video game, which makes me and many other people like me kind of cock our heads to the side and go, what, what? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that that using that as a defense it kind of falls apart when you hear the second part of that but i think that that's also indicative right because like they tried to take this new and different idea and cram mario references into it right which it, it feels very much that way but and, and in fair and in fairness to everybody involved what they were doing had never been done before and i don't think that's something that we've really played up as much as we should have to this point because this is the first video game adaptation ever like and and really in a lot of ways unfortunately becomes the benchmark for video game movies going forward uh spoiler alert we're going to talk about a lot of video game movies on this podcast 
because so many of them never get past their first movie because they are bad. And even some of the ones that are still bad, a couple of them do manage to get sequels, neither here nor there. But, I mean, like, when trying to decide what our first episode would be, we kicked around a couple of other movies, and we landed on this one, but it was kind of like, wait, should we wait and just do, like, a whole month of video games? And after looking at the list that we'd assembled of failed franchise stars, we're like, no, we can we can do Super Mario Brothers as our first episode and still do a video game month later on sometime uh, because there's just so many of these movies. Uh, and for, for good or ill, Super Mario Brothers is the first one. Generally speaking, my 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 thoughts on adaptation tend to be the closer to the spirit, this I will say the spirit of the source material that you can adhere, the more successful your adaptation will be. MCU is a really good example of that. The first couple X-Men movies are really good examples of that. Adhering very closely to the spirit of what is being adapted and ultimately finding success with that in on the big screen. I think that plays out to be true going, uh, you know, across the board. Some may disagree. That's fine. But I don't think this is really true to the spirit of what Mario was, which I think would have made it a more successful adaptation and worthy of that franchise going forward. Like, the only way I would have wanted to see the sequel to this movie is if Donkey Kong were the bad guy, because I loves me some Donkey Kong. I personally would have loved to have seen the the dark Jim Henson version of this movie. I think that would have been amazing. I think, honestly, I think in, in a perfect world, that's the version we would have gotten. I agree. Yeah. But this is clearly not a perfect world because Koopa is president right now. Uh, and we're all locked in our houses, uh, fearful of the virus lurking around the corner. So what are you going to do? Stay at home. Wear a mask. That's Stay at home and wear a mask. Come on. That's that's not a political statement. By the way, all the stuff I said about Trump, that is political. This is not a political statement. Stay at home and wear a mask, you maniacs. Any any other final thoughts before we wrap this thing up, Brett? No, man. We've uh, we've talked about this for way too long as it is. Um, I, I don't think that's possible, but okay. Well, yeah, you're not. Because like I said, we could have gone on forever. This podcast has to end. It's the only reason we're not talking about it more. You're right. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I I have enjoyed it again after, because it'd been like maybe five to ten years since I'd watched it last. Um, I, I think it's fine. I think it's still good. I think it still holds up. Um, it's still weird. It's still not great, but... Um, Pretty much both those things. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so many different things um and i i think if you have not seen it you should absolutely go out and try to watch it um it's not available to stream anywhere um so you're either gonna have to buy it or uh you know finagle some illegal websites um which we don't condone here at the failure to franchise podcast we do not uh, but sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do um so just don't let us know about it, and we Just didn't tell you to do it. No, we didn't at all. We don't condone that, like I that said. Is, that is not uh, a party line. No. Um, but yeah, try get out there, watch it. And you know, it, it's not a beloved movie. You can probably find it physically for like two bucks in a bargain bin somewhere. You cannot find it on Blu-ray, because it is, unless you live in the UK, because it is only available on Blu-ray in the United Kingdom. Um, American audiences notoriously do not love it enough for it to have a, blue, a Blu-ray release. Unless you have one of those region-free Blu-ray players, in which case, have at it. Go nuts. Go nuts, man. Uh, Brent, yeah. what are, what are we talking about next week? Next time we are going to be talking about 2019's Alita Battle Angel, based on the very popular manga and anime of the same name. Hey, Alita Battle Angel. You might think it's too soon for us to be discussing it. 
Uh, it's not. We'll tell you why. And until then, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, I am individually on Twitter at Chewy Walrus. I'm also on Letterboxd under the same name. That's C-H-E-W-Y-W-A-L-R-U-S. Um, and then you can find the podcast on Twitter at Fail, the number two franchise. That's Fail, number two franchise. Uh, and again, if you like this movie, tell us we're wrong for telling it as we see it um go ahead and tweet at us on twitter uh at fail to franchise uh with the hashtag trust the fungus brett where can we find you on social medias um you can find me at gunslinger fire on uh, twitter and letterboxd um i'm more on twitter really but you know i gotta be using that letterbox more often um so don't now that people are gonna want to follow you yeah i mean hopefully um but yeah we do hope uh but yeah yeah, so until next time, when we talk about 2019's Alita Battle Angel, uh, I'm Stephen Foxworthy for Brett Wright. Until next time, trust the fungus, everybody. Trust the fungus. Trust it.